What's up, guys? It's the Blue Bloods coming back at y'all with another episode of our Pac-12 and 31 Days theme. And we are joined by USC insider and writer for The Athletic, Antonio Morales, is joining us today. And I just want to say I appreciate you joining the show, man. Uh, no worries, Zach. Uh, I'm glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely, man. So we got to start with, you know, just kind of some of the turmoil that the Pac-12, you know, went through this year. Larry Scott made the decision on August 11th to postpone the season. That decision was praised by some, condemned by others because the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 continued to play and got almost full seasons in. What was your personal reaction to Scott's initial decision? And did, did USC fight back on this decision? And what exactly was the plan if Larry Scott doesn't, you know, re- reverse his course of action? Well, the Pac-12 just seemed kind of wishy-washy uh, throughout the whole situation just because they were so strong. Them, along with the Big Ten, were so strong in their reaction to handle the season and they canceled the fall or postponed the fall season. Then once the Big Ten decided to come back, it was like the Pac-12 was like, oh, we're going to come back too. Um, I, I think USC did play a rather large role in the Pac-12 coming back. I don't know if you remember, the, the USC football players wrote a letter to Gavin Newsom, the California governor, to basically, they basically pleaded to let them play football. So I, I think that was a big moment for the Pac-12. And I think that kind of, gave the, the, the conference a spark to kind of return to the field. Uh, obviously, it, it was hard to evaluate things with an abbreviated training camp and everything that went on with the Pac-12 season. There was only six games, and I think Utah might have only played four games, same with Washington. Uh, so it was hard to really figure out what to take away from the season, but it was it was better than nothing. Right. It absolutely was better than nothing. And uh, based on the results on the field, the Trojans were happy they got to play an undefeated regular season, a loss in the Pac-12 championship game to Oregon. Did this season for you, though, meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations? Record-wise, it was probably where I thought. But if if you watch the team game in and game out, they're very – underwhelming and it did not exceed the expectations that I had for them. They returned 16 starters. I, I know J2 Felly opted out, so that was a big loss on the deep line, but I, I think they were underwhelming considering the talent and the experience they were bringing back. I think a lot of people expected this to be one of Clay Helton's best teams, and it certainly wasn't. It was an uneven, up-and-down kind of year. They they had to uh, come back. They needed a miracle to beat Arizona. Arizona State, I mean, in the first game of the year. And then they needed a last-minute drive to beat Arizona, who was the worst team in the conference. And they were projected projected to finish last in, in the South. And then they needed another last-minute, last-second drive to beat UCLA. So it wasn't the most impressive of of five and ones if you, you kind of watch them from game one to game six. Right. I mean, there were some close games. Like the Arizona State game came down to literally the last play of the game. It was a one-point comeback win because Arizona State 
was looking real good early, but one of the X factors for this team has been Keaton Slovis for these past two years. Been one of the top quarterbacks in the country. He's coming back for a third season now. In your opinion, what makes him such a special quarterback, and what are your expectations for him coming into this season? He's just he's just a gamer. I mean, when USC needed him to come through with plays last year, he came through almost every time. I know the Oregon game, he made a lot of mistakes, and that kind of cost them, but they wouldn't have been in that Oregon game without the magic he pulled off in the fourth quarter in some of those games this past season. It's been essentially a tale of two seasons for Keaton Slovis. We saw him in 2019. He came in and he replaced an injured JT Daniels, and he looked fantastic. His arm, his arm strength was great, and he was one of the most accurate passers in college football. And he looks like a surefire kind of first-round draft pick coming up in the future. And then last year, he struggled. He, he The numbers were nice. I think he was... Seven touchdowns, seven interceptions, and he was the first team all-pack 12 quarterback, and he led USC to the Pac-12 title game. So a lot of people just looked at that on paper and were like, okay, that's he, did, he had a great year. But even in his words, he struggled last year. He struggled with confidence. There was, he was coming off an injury against Iowa in the Holiday Bowl to end the 2019 season. And that and the pandemic kind of wiped out all the training he wanted to do last offseason and he really struggled with mechanics in 2020 that he had a hard time on spirals a lot of the time the balls the balls were floating on him a lot and the arm strength didn't look the same as it did in 2019 and that was kind of the defining trait and he looked a little bit more hesitant last year and i talked to him in march and he told me he struggled with confidence mechanics wise and i thought that was a pretty big thing for him to admit I kind of be that vulnerable and honest uh, when I talked to him, but he struggled with confidence. And he said he didn't have a lot of confidence in his throwing arm. And that showed all last season because he just didn't look like the same guy as he did in 2019. So he's gone to train with a couple of quarterback trainers at 3DQB, which is out here in Huntington Beach. And he's the, the, the mechanics have looked better. They look better in the spring. The spiral looked tighter, but the velocity doesn't see him all the way back yet and he separated his shoulder in the tackle title game against Oregon so that's two that's two consecutive seasons that have ended for him with injuries to his throwing arm so that's going to be a pretty big thing to watch this this coming up season if the velocity and and the spiral you know, how he's throwing the ball because accuracy is such a big part of his game and that's what he's been noted for throughout his two years and that's going to be a pretty big thing to watch because that'll his arm health and his confidence just because that'll determine how far USC goes this year. And it'll determine his draft stock for the upcoming year, because it's, it's a pretty wide open quarterback class in terms of 2022 and right. if he a good season. He, he could vault himself up in, into that mix. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think my, my co-host is um, taking a small break right now. I mean, he absolutely loves Slovis. I think he ranked them as, his second best quarterback in the country going into this year. Um, but, you know, the head man of the USC Trojans is one that is, seems to always be a national storyline. Clay Helton, been the head guy since 2015, but he seems to be, for, at least for me, one of the most criticized head coaches on the, in the country, always on the hot seat, always one step short. For you, though, 
how would you grade Helton's Tom as the head coach at USC? And is his seat as hot as a lot of the media might get you to believe? I think in the past few years, it hasn't been. I think last year it wasn't that hot. And I think in 2018, when he had the first losing season, USC's first losing season in like 18 years, I don't think it was as hot as everybody thought it was going to be just because they signed him to an extension 10 months earlier and there was no way USC was going to be able to pay off another five more years of that deal. So the only time I was really, I really thought it might happen was 2019 after that season and USC chose to keep him. Um, right now, I'd probably give him a C. Just, he won a Rose Bowl and he won a back up title, which is more than Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian could say. Um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian might have kind of loaded up the roster for him, but um, he, he's he was the coach who won the Rose Bowl and won the the Pac-12, which hadn't been, which hadn't been done since Pete Carroll. I, I know a lot of USC fans probably say would probably say a C is too generous and a lot of people would probably say Sam Darnold is the one who kind of carried USC those titles. That's that's what kind of Clay gets stuck with from this fan base. Um, but I'd probably put a C right now just because he won a Rose Bowl and a Pac-12. But but he's also had a losing season, uh, which is hard to to pull off at USC. And um, they've been kind of average the past two years. Um, so. That's kind of where I where I put him at, but I I think this year could be a make or break year for him because his contract runs through 2023, and after this year there'll only be two years left on the deal, and it'll get a little less expensive from a buyout perspective, which is which is what I what I think has kind of prevented USC from doing it in the past just because the the buyout would have been so expensive and. That number is getting lower and lower by the year. So if they don't win the Pac-12 this year or something like that, then who knows what's on, what's on the table for them. Right. And, I mean, just kind of a follow-up, just like a smaller question. There was a lot of openings around the country where that Helton was linked to. I, 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 one in particular was the Auburn head coach job. A lot of the 247 guys were saying that Helton could, was maybe on the radar and maybe received a little bit of interest from Auburn. Is any of that true, or do you know anything? Did Helton ever interview for a job or show interest in any other job? Uh, not that I know. But I think that would have been out there kind of more widely if it was. I don't think. Not that not that I've heard of that. You know, Auburn. I know he has the ties to Auburn, but I don't mm-hmm. never heard anything about that. Right. Yeah, I was just I just had to ask because it just seemed kind of like because you didn't never hear about coaches leaving USC to go. To, to a job because USC is one of the biggest, most prestigious jobs in the country. But, you know, shifting back to kind of on the field stuff, the Cardinal and Gold spring game was a few weeks ago, and there are so many storylines to pay attention to for the Trojans. For you, though, what were the most important things that you were looking at, and what were your biggest takeaways from spring practice in general? I think from spring practice in general, I think the main thing I was looking for was the offensive line that's been USC's biggest weakness the past few years. And it's why the program isn't as elite as it was the, in, the, in the middle of the 2000s when they were winning national titles, when they played Alabama, when they played Ohio State, 
they haven't been able to match up in the trenches and the program is not going to get back to where they want to be until they're great in the trenches again and they're not there right now and it's going to take a few years to rebuild that so i wanted to see what they looked like without elijah barry tucker who was the first round draft pick at that at that unit this fall or this spring so they're still gonna be a major question mark throughout throughout the season it's it's the same guys who were there last year minus the first round draft pick so um it's it's probably going to be a tough sledding. So we'll have to see what the new offensive line coach, Clay McGuire, and, and offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell. These guys go way back, so they're going to need to come up with a, with a game plan and scheme around the deficiencies of the offensive line. USC might start two redshirt freshman tackles this year, which is not a position they really want to be in. In an ideal world, they'd have more experienced guys to or a transfer to put into those spots, especially left tackle or they're protecting Slopes' blind side. But they have to, they might have to roll out two young guys this year, and it's going to be the most scrutinized group on the team. So I was looking towards that, and I think another area was the backup quarterback competition. USC signed two blue-chip quarterbacks with Jackson Dart and Miller Moss this past year, and they were they were going to compete for the backup job with Vanderbilt transfer Mo Hassan. Hassan tore his ACL in the spring game, which was unfortunate for him because I think he was having a, a pretty good spring ball, and I think he would have been in the mix of the backup jobs. So that left the the competition to basically those two true freshmen. And I think Dart had the edge during spring ball. I think he just has a, a confidence that's hard to compete with and we got to watch practice and it was very noticeable then. And he has a really live arm and a really strong arm. And he's, he's not afraid to push the ball upfield and, and he's mobile. So I think that'll kind of give him the edge in the back of the quarterback job. And Slovis has been injured the past two years and uh, he's had a concussion uh, that kept him out of, kept him out of basically two whole games in 2019. So there, there's an injury history there and USC uh, I don't think they've gone through a season without a quarterback injury the past three years. So uh, the backup quarterback job is a very important role here. So that was something I wanted to watch to uh, this spring. Right. Yeah. The offensive line. I mean, they, they it's it's weird because like the offensive line gets so scrutinized, but it's been back to back years with the first round pick and Austin Jackson, Vera Tucker. So it just seems like they get like one or two spots filled out, and the other ones are kind of like up in limbo. So the offensive line is going to be something I'll be watching as well. But I want to get to the most important thing in college football nowadays. It's signing day. It's recruiting. Back in February, the 2021 cycle wrapped up, and the Trojans signed the number seven class in the 247 composite, another top 10 class, and they landed the number one composite player in the country, Corey Foreman. For you, though, what were the biggest positional needs for the Trojans, and who were some instant impact guys from this class that can make an impact day one? Well, let's start with Corey Foreman just because he was the number one guy. Obviously, he He's USC needs to get better on the defensive line too, and they need to recruit that position better. And symbolically, that was a big signing for USC, just because the number one player in California two years in a row had left the state. Uh, Bryce Young signed with Alabama, and the year before that, Kayvon Dibodeau signed with Oregon. 
and Oregon got the number two player in California in the 2020 class, which was Justin Flo. So Oregon came in and signed two high-profile, big-name players that USC could have definitely used on their defense in Justin Flo and Kayvon Thibodeau. So USC, symbolically, they needed to get Justin Flo. Their, their whole motto this past recruiting cycle was take back the West. And you can't take back the West unless you're signing, you're keeping the top guys in Southern California home. And they were able to keep Corey Foreman home, and that was a huge, that was a huge victory for them. Uh, he should play a lot this fall. Him and Drake Jackson, who's USC standout outside linebacker, edge rusher, they were teammates in high school, and you know, they're teaming up again for probably one more year because Drake Jackson will probably be off the NFL after this after this season. But it'll be fun to watch Corey Foreman and Drake Jackson on the edge together again. Um, at USC, but so that that was one need they needed to fill, and they needed to fill uh, some needs at corner just because they didn't sign any DBs in the 2020 recruiting class. So getting a guy like Sierra Wright, who was a top 100 player nationally, a high four-star prospect, who was considering schools like Notre Dame and Oregon, that was a big victory for them as well. I think they signed five DBs this cycle, which wasn't an accident. Like I said, they didn't sign any DBs the year before. And um, I think one need they didn't really address too much. They, they signed three offensive linemen in this recruiting class, but none were like blue chip elite guys. Oregon signed the top four offensive linemen on the West Coast. And that's, that's an issue. That's something that USC needs to get better with is recruiting the offensive line. And so as good as this recruiting class was, and they filled needs, they, they got the quarterbacks they needed. They got Foreman. They did a lot of good things defensively in this recruiting class, but they still need to recruit the offensive line better. And so as far as good as this recruiting class was, it could still be better. Right. And, I mean, they already – I know they got um, – I believe his name is Damani Jackson. The He's like the number three player in the country out of California at corner So for the next cycle. So that's a huge pickup. But kind of a follow-up here. This is always an interesting topic for me. We've talked about it on the podcast. I've heard a lot of national media. Colin Cowherd is so vocal about how 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 is it that USC is not being able to keep in-state kids in-state. I know recruiting is becoming more national. Alabama is coming into California and snatching kids, and it's hard to go up against Alabama. As an Auburn grad, I understand how hard it is to try to out-recruit Alabama. But for me, what is for, – or for you, what is the key to keeping in-state kids in-state? And, you know, when I look at USC, it's, it's the tradition. It's the it's the, it's the Coliseum. It's, um, it, it's the history. It's L.A., Southern California. How, is it, how has it been so hard to keep in-state kids in-state at USC? I, I think development has been an issue for them, I think. That's just hard to compete with, like you mentioned. When Alabama is sending every guy off to the NFL, and they have so many first-round draft picks every year, I think five of the first 17 picks of this year's draft were, were Alabama guys. That That's just hard, impossible to compete with. And USC hasn't been doing well for the past. They've been up and down for the last 10 years while Alabama was winning national titles or competing for national titles almost every year. So... That, that's been hard. That's been hard for them. And now you see Clemson coming into Southern California and getting kids and Ohio State and, and Oregon. 
USC, USC's decline kind of coincided with their decline on the field. They went five and seven in 2018. And we didn't see it in that recruiting cycle, but the next recruiting cycle after is when there was a really kind of like a mass exodus in Southern California of all this top talent that was leaving the state. Guys like Bryce Young, DJ Uyunglele, and Justin Flo, and uh, Elias Ricks, even though he was at IMG for his last year. Um, Just guys like that that USC desperately could have used just weren't coming there, I think. The development has has to has to be something. USC only had two players drafted in 2020. They only had they had five players drafted in 2021, but only one of those was in the top three rounds or so. So that's been that's been an issue for them. That's something. That's a narrative they need to they need to correct. Just because you know, that's that's what's hurting them. Guys are gonna want to go where they get developed and where they get sent off the NFL. And right now, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State are doing that at a much higher rate than, than USC. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think it's going to be something interesting to watch over the next few years is how can USC kind of establish their dominance in Southern California again. But I want to shift to next season. I'm so excited. It's looking like we're going to have full stadiums. It's looking like we're going to have a real full season. On the field, though, which players for USC do you think could really shine and have their breakout season next year? I, I think you have to look at someone like a Drake London, who has been sharing touches the past couple of years with Michael Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's. And he only had the six-game season last year, so people will look at the stats and they'll only say, like, oh, only 530 yards or whatever. And he only had 500 yards or so. As a true freshman in 2019, but I think this year could really be a, a big, big year for him in terms of numbers and that's his play. He He's obviously playing on a pass-heavy offense, and he's going to be USC's clear number one wide out this year, so I could see a 1,000-yard season for him just based off his rapport with Keaton Slovis and his role in this pass-heavy air raid offense. So I, I, I look out for him. Uh, on the defensive side, um, obviously Drake Jackson will be a, a big name player for them. Who will, who will have a, a big season? Um, other than that, it's kind of hard to tell who might break out on that side of the ball. I, I think if you're looking for anybody else, you might see Keontae Ingram, a guy who will have a big role um, at the running back position. Stephen Carr just transferred to Indiana, so that creates more room in the running back rotation. I, I think. Ingram already asserted himself in that group this spring. Um, I, I think the coaching staff trusted Carr a lot, um, but that makes it just creates more room and more reps for Keontae Ingram, who who was starting at Texas, and then a guy named Bijan Robinson came along and kind of established himself as one of the top backs in the country. So Ingram's a really good player, and uh, I, I think he could have a good year if USC's off the line um, can hold up well enough in the run game. So uh, he, he's another guy I would watch as well. Right. Yeah. The kid that Ingram's so talented and, you know, I know just personally, I think um, Chris Thompson jr. The safety that just transferred to USC should play a big role, especially with, you know, the PAC 12 defensive player of the year headed to the draft for USC. So there's a big spot at a needed safety. So that's a, 
another position I'm really looking forward to seeing how he performs there. But looking at the schedule, man, I'm not going to lie. The Trojans have an excellent shot at another Pac-12 championship appearance because I feel like their schedule lays out real nicely for them. But there's always those tough games, games on the road against Notre Dame, in-division rival Arizona State, Colorado on the road won't be an easy win either. For you, though, what is the ceiling and or floor for the 2021 USC Trojans? I would say the ceiling, if everything goes right, is 10 and 2-ish. If you're looking at a really, really optimistic, if you have an optimistic point of view, uh, more optimistic than I probably have, then it's probably 11 and 1, just because of the Notre Dame game is the only really true tough environment they're playing in. And, uh, but I, I would say the more you are maybe the more realistic kind of view I have is maybe nine and three ish uh, with, you know, and, and, and being in the mix for the Pac-12 South uh, just USC the past couple of years has never made it look as easy as it should be. Uh, it's always been more difficult than, than it needs to be. Uh, so Notre Dame's a tough environment. Uh, a game like Stanford could be tough. And then, but yeah, I, I think Notre Dame, is a tough environment for them to play in. And I, I think that the ones that are worth circling are the November trips to Arizona State and Cal back to back. I really think the, the South division is going to come down to Arizona State, USC, and Utah. I, I think it's going to be one of those years where it's going to be a, a traffic jam on top of the, the South standings, kind of like in 2018 when when the division was won by a team that went six and three in the conference, I, I think this year could be, you know, that six and three, seven and two uh, division winner type of year. And UCLA is going to be tough too. Uh, they gave, they gave USC a, a really good run at it last year. And uh, they could have, they could have easily won that game. I think the Bruins are gonna, are getting, have made really good progress under Trip Kelly, especially last year. The record might not state it, but they lost a lot of close games, a lot of games that came down to the wire. And they could be in, in the mix for the division title as well. I think the South is better than the North this year, which is something we rarely say in the Pac-12. Uh, so I think USC's talent level went down a bit, and everybody else around them got better. And they're, getting, they're bringing a lot of experience back. And Utah has Charlie Brewer coming from Baylor. And Arizona State's a year older. So I think I think it's going to be a dogfight in the South this year, and uh, USC will have its work cut out for them. Absolutely. I'm so excited. I think the parity in the Pac-12 has never been higher in terms of all the competition between Utah on, on, the, on the upswing. Colorado last year showed some improvement. Arizona State is looking like a real contender. So I'm really excited to see how the Pac-12 plays out. But last question here, man. I am from the South. So I haven't been able to make it out to California at all, but you know I'm not used to you know I'm an Auburn guy, so I'm not used to be having such a prestigious school in such a huge city like LA. But for you, what makes LA the Memorial Co- the Memorial Coliseum such a unique environment on game days? I, I think when the fans are really into it, it can get really electric out there. I think I think back to. The 2017, it's just a 19 Stanford game. 
as Keaton Slovis' first start, nobody's expecting much. And then just to hear kind of the roar of the crowd and how they all got behind him as he, he beat a top 25 Stanford team in his debut. Um, it was in a really electric atmosphere that day. And I can think back to that, to that same month when they beat a top 10 Utah team uh, in the Coliseum and nobody really gave them much of a chance. And they pulled off the upset with their third string quarterback. Those were kind of two of the most electric atmospheres I remember. LA is kind of different. They they need to see you win first before they they buy in. I I covered Ole Miss uh, for two years uh, before I could cover USC, and I, so I I went to all those places in the SEC. I saw a game at Auburn. I saw a game at Bama. I saw a game at LSU and A and M. You know, a lot of those fan bases are going to be there for the most part, no matter what. At USC. Uh, it's it's got to be more of a, hey, we need to see you win and get things right before we fully buy in. But when when the fans are bought in, it's it's an electric it's an electric atmosphere out there, and you know they get really behind the program. Um, so you know we'll see. You know obviously the fan base isn't sold on Clay Helton, but we'll see. You know a year away from football where there's been no fans in the stands for a year. We'll see if they kind of come back out in droves um, this fall. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I will. I got. I got probably a game on every weekend of the schedule that I am trying to be at. But man, I appreciate you coming on, dropping all this knowledge about USC football and what's going on out there in Southern California. But where can our listeners find you? Social media. The Athletic, I've, I've plugged that website all the time on here. It's one of my favorite sports information websites. So where can they find you on there as well? For sure. You can find me at on Twitter at Antonio C. Morales. And then obviously at The Athletic and our college football vertical uh, with USC and West Coast recruiting and things like that. Um, that's m- mainly what I've been writing about the past couple months. So, uh, yeah, you can find me there and uh, – you know, find all our great college football coverage there. So I uh, appreciate you having me, Zach. Absolutely, absolutely, guys. Definitely go check out The Athletic. I have my subscription. That is easily one of the best websites out there right now. They're, they they do it big at, at The Athletic. But, guys, you all know where to find us, and we appreciate Antonio coming on. We'll definitely reach back out to him closer to the season. But, guys, that is a wrap on this episode. And so for Antonio, for myself, and for the Blue Blitz, guys, we are out.